0: Okay, welcome everybody. This is Oliver Woods, and we've been talking this week about the greatbiblereset.com in terms of the one thing God requires to deliver us from our national judgment, and that being a commitment to His law, especially as summarized in Exodus 20-24, through which is known as the Book of the Covenant. Exodus 20 contains the Ten Commandments, and it's followed by three chapters of what uh, God calls the ordinances, which uh, illustrate what a Christian culture would be like, what it would look like if we were actually you know living under the Ten Commandments as a culture. Um, but we see this covenant idea uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, starting right away in the new, in the book of Genesis, uh, we have God telling Adam to fill the earth and subdue it. Um, that's repeated in um, Genesis 9, 6, after the flood, where God told Noah the same thing. But he added the phrase, whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. So it, it's introducing the idea of, of government with, with penalties and so forth. Um, Abraham, uh, God told Abraham, I will establish my covenant with you and your children. And then this uh, covenant is repeated many times throughout the, um, the Old Testament. Uh, in Exodus 24, uh, it says the Lord—well, the people said, in response to the, uh, the commandments, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. And then again in Joshua chapter 1, people uh, repeated that, just as we obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. And um, then throughout the history of the kings in the Old Testament, uh, King Josiah, for example, in verse uh, chapter 23, verse 2, said— um, it says, it says of, of the king, it says the king stood by the pillar, made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, and the people stood by the covenant. So let's, let's get into the question, you know, is this still required today, this idea of a covenant or covenant model? And today we, we've got a very special guest, uh, Reverend Dr. Paul Michael Raymond, pastor in Epimetics, Virginia and uh, in my opinion, one of the premier teaching pastors in the United States today in terms of relating the law of God to the culture as well as to the individual. And among many other duties, he teaches great books at kingswayclassicalacademy.com, and he has an internet ministry to pastors in uh, Africa, Ethiopia, as well as uh, his ministry in in Appomattox. So welcome, Pastor Raymond. glad that you can be with us. Um, we've been talking about the authority of the law of God in the life of um, Alfred the Great and his, some of his family prior to the Battle of Hastings in uh, 1066, and then in the life of Anselm, uh, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury after the Battle of Hastings. But maybe you could start off uh, by telling us a little bit more, you know, about yourself, your your ministry in in uh, Virginia and and uh, in Africa as well.
1: Well, thank you, Dennis.
0: I appreciate it. And
1: Dennis and I, we've been, uh, Oliver, of course, uh, you you and I have been friends forever and uh, (laughs) speaking the same language forever and Uh frustrated with the same things as long as we have known each other. I appreciate that introduction. Yeah, just a real brief uh, introduction of what we're doing here. We have a, a leadership college and seminary, a grad school, And it's patterned after Calvin's academy in Geneva, where he was teaching the law of God as well as theology, which is, of course, important because theology without its application is just basically a head-scratching exercise, which amounts to nothing. So the theological principles of Scripture have to be applied diligently to the world around us. Otherwise, it's not with power. It doesn't have any power. So, so what we decided to do, instead of calling it a Bible college or a seminary, we called it a leadership academy, because we need to apply the things of God to the real world. One of the rubs that we face is, well, how do you apply ancient law, I'll give you an example in a minute, to a modern situation? For instance, if one of the penalties is you have to pay X amount of shekels, well, How many shekels do we pay in 2023 if we're going to make restitution for a certain uh, crime or infraction? So those are the things that need to be pounded out. That's not the problem. It's Mm -hmm. the fact that no one's talking about this. And Mm -hmm. it's very easy to say, well, God's law is no longer applicable for today uh, when it really is. Because if you think about it, on your discussion about the covenant, it's a universal God. It's a cosmic sovereign God who is the universal lawgiver, the universal judge, and his laws do not change. And the application of them have to be pounded out in the modern era, but the laws are the same. The other point that I think needs clarification and needs to be stressed to parents, especially in in the light of education, is covenant. When we speak about a covenant, A Christian who has proclaimed themselves a Christian, a parent who says, I'm a Christian parent or we're Christian parents. We are bound to the covenant. And I'm afraid that when it comes to education, the mind of the modern Christian has been hijacked into thinking that government education is being faithful to the covenant education model of Deuteronomy chapter six. And it is not. And that we get only tell us that these Christian parents are not serious or they're just completely ignorant, which I have to then fault the ministers who are completely ignorant of their responsibility, of the parents' responsibility and their responsibility to teach the parent that a covenant education is required of the parent, which means you cannot send a covenant child into Caesar's house or Pharaoh's house to be educated in the things of God. It's just an impossibility. And yet what we find is, time and time again, Christian children in government schools being destroyed. And uh, what we find from the Christian community and from the theological community of the modernists, of the ministers there, is we find that they are just simply making excuses. So that's the day in which we live. And what I have found with our ministry to the Africans in Ethiopia is there's a hunger there, a hunger that we have not found in America in quite some time. And I'm very I'm very jealous over their hunger because I want to see it among our opulent society. You know, we, we have all these things that God has given us and yet and yet we take it for granted, the worship on the Lord's Day, we we're able to have Bibles, we we're able not to be uh, molested by the government, at least not severely as they are in Africa, and yet there's no the hunger. It's a lukewarmness, which I find very, very disturbing.
0: Now, is, is Ethiopia, is that the country that has actually written, that has a new constitution in terms of of a covenant with God, or is that a... Is that a you know, I'm not sure
1: about that. I know the government is very involved in licensing, or at least trying to be involved. I know R- Rwanda was very difficult. Uh, some of the folks that I'm ministering to and with is my colleagues, pastoral colleagues there in Ethiopia. They came to Ethiopia because it was easier than Rwanda. Oh, so I'm not so sure about the laws there. But it is, it is a place where they can begin seminaries and flourish, unlike okay. in Rwanda.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. Well, now, you know, we read in the New Testament, you know, we're, we're under grace, not under law. So does that imply that um, states or governments have to legislate in terms of common sense or natural law and aren't obligated to um, the law of God in terms of legislation and government? Or how do you, how do you interpret that?
1: Well, that's a perversion of Scripture, that quoting out of context. So what? What? when we read we're no longer under law but under grace, the Apostle Paul tells the Church of Galatia that. Now, if you understand the situation at the Church of Galatia, the Church of Galatia, and actually it was a denomination of, of the churches of Galatia, which was our modern-day Turkey, what Paul was telling them was we're not under the ceremonial laws to keep the ceremonial laws for salvation. We're under the grace of God by faith. Uh, we, we are accessing by the grace of God uh, salvation. So, it, Paul is not talking about the moral law, he's talking about the ceremonial law. So, w- what that passage to be quoted as if we're no longer obligated to God's moral law is a just perversion, a, a blasphemous perversion of scripture, trying to say something that the Apostle Paul never intended whatsoever. Because if you go down that bunny trail, if you go down that rabbit hole, you can then say, well wait a minute now I can murder, I can steal, I can rape, I can I can do all these things and without without any kind of uh, punishment, any kind of problem with that well of course not. so then so then what is it saying if if it's saying we're no longer under law, does that say we don't have to keep the law? Well, that's not true then you'd have to take out all, all of the uh, the psalms that are, praising god for his law psalm 119 the the longest psalm in the whole of the canon so so they they quote these things even even pastors quote these passages so promiscuously and so out of context to try to manufacture a doctrine around a perverted scripture verse that they've taken totally out of context and and, and yet and yet that's what people believe because they're not students of the scripture they're they're actually sheep being led to the slaughter by these blind shepherds leading the blind people, which is very, very tragic and very sad. So no, so the law of God is universal and it must be maintained by all institutions, not only the family institution, but the state institution. And we have to be very careful because the state is under a covenant responsibility as ministers of God to enforce the laws of God, the moral law of God. And the penology, which is to be used by the state, has to be biblically sound. Because if you use natural law or, or the, the, the laws of nature and of nature's God, that can become a wax nose. And you could twist yeah. that and make, mold it and make that whatever you wanted to say. Mm-hmm. So only the law of God gives us the righteous penology, the righteous uh, judgments against all criminal offenses to man and to God at, at the same time. So to deny the law of God is to deny the lawmaker, the lawgiver, and it is to deny God. And I, I fear for our nation and all nations that seek to deny God and his law because judgment is coming and will come and has come throughout history on those nations that have denied the law of God and not implemented that law within all of
0: the institutions of human civilization. So is that uh, you know, in Matthew 5, is that getting at the same thing where Jesus said, I came not to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it? Is that the same kind Yes, of well,
1: idea? yeah, in that regard, he's fulfilling the ceremonial law because the ceremonial law was pointing to Christ, but he is he is also giving us uh the 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 statement that he is not abolishing the moral law, he is actually emphasizing it. And that's what the Greek says there. It's it's actually emphasizing it. Mm -hmm. And that's important because if, if we do not follow the righteous law of God, we are doomed to our own devices. I always ask people when they tell me, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace and all of that nonsense. Let me ask you, what laws do you believe the Bible teaches that are unrighteous? What, what law of God is unrighteous? What part of God's mind, because the Bible is God's mind related to us in words, what part of God's mind do you believe is unrighteous? When the scripture clearly says there is no unrighteousness in God, God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So I ask the question, which, which part of God's law do you think you can do better? And of course, they, they can't answer the question because if they do, And and, and they say, "Well, I think I could do better." They blaspheme, and and what you want to do is you want to you want to create that kind of a catch twenty two situation, so that Mm -hmm. they they can't answer without incriminating themselves.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, can you give us some examples? um, You know, where you know specific examples where Jesus or other um, New Testament writers were actually applying. What you just you know what you what you've been talking about in terms of specific case laws, um, uh, how that would apply today, perhaps you know.
1: Well, let me let me give you a, let me give you one example that I think is very difficult to uh, to really flesh out unless you're really thinking about it. In in Second Samuel, one of the most disturbing passages in the second book of the prophet Samuel is when Amnon rapes his half sister Tamar. And there's a very curious um, discussion after the rape where Tamar is ready to be thrust out of Amnon's house. Of course, he said he loved her. He only lusted after her. Of course, he he forces her and then he wants to throw her out. And she says, don't do this thing. This is worse than what you've done if you throw me out. And if you talk to my father, David, the king, he will not hesitate to to uh, not keep me from you and that's very curious because we we say well what is she thinking well if you read very carefully the law of god when and, and in our modern day what what do we want i mean even even myself when when there's when there's a violation of a woman's body by a rapist you you want the death penalty uh, but we have to remember that there are mandatory penalties in scripture and then there are maximum penalties in scripture which don't Require a mandatory sentence of death. We want to be really careful to make that distinction between a maximum penalty and then a mandatory penalty. So, in the case of Tamar, when you read carefully the law, because you have to go back to the law first of all, all of the elders should have been brought into the mix. David decided unilaterally to just not even do anything about it. But anytime there's a sexual crime, a, a a crime which dealt with, with fornication or adultery or or rape, the elders of Israel had to be brought into the situation. They were the court. That was the court, the court of the king. They were the judges. They had to be brought into the situation, and they would adjudicate what the penalty would be. Now, for a woman who was a pure virgin or not, not engaged or not married, the penalty for rape was either you marry the woman or— if the father of the woman forbade the marriage, the rapist had to pay what was called the bride price and there was X amount of shekels to be paid. The only time a capital offense was committed for rape was if that woman was engaged, betrothed, or married. Then the rapist was given a death sentence. And that's very interesting because I I know a a lot of our folks who are very theonomic, in their mindset, wanting the law of God to be applied, always unilaterally say, well, rapists, they they have to die. But that's not really what the law is saying. Now, the rub here, and it's very disturbing no matter where you stand in this, but the rub is if the rapist is to give X amount of shekels, how many shekels or how do you adjudicate such a crime if that is going to be the case? So that would have to go to a court of law. Now, in the perfect world, of course, you'd have a righteous situation. You'd have forensic. You'd have all of these things. But those are the hard, hard parts of law which we need to start discussing. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of people tell me this. Well, why are you going to go hunt down sodomites and homosexuals? Well, no, the, that wasn't part of the law of God. What the law of God did not give a mandatory sentence of death to the homosexual. Mm-hmm. That is not the law of God. The law of God gives way to repentance, otherwise, you'd have no no repenting homosexuals in Corinth. You've got a maximum of death if they were going to promote, proselytize, and openly uh, commit these crimes. But it was never different. if they did it in the privacy of their own home, that's it. They could do that because you always needed two or three witnesses. So so when we look at the law of God and we recognize that the law of God is perfectly righteous and equitable, and then we study it, where we're dealing with these hard issues, we find that it is the best pathway for justice, and it does protect the the society from these criminals and from these crimes, such as we have today. I'll give you an example. Another example: what we have today, just today, being June second of twenty twenty three, we have. LGBTQ plus XMYZ, whatever the letters are after that, Pride Month. So, in our local library, we're in the Bible Belt here, so called. Our local library just has just put out a huge display in their foyer for children, mind you, of all of the LGBT things. It's okay to be drag. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to be this. All of these pornographic children's books, children's um, pictures and illustrations. So we went to the local sheriff and we asked, well, does this not violate the Decency Act in the state of Virginia? And he said, no, it doesn't. But we know it does. Now, if we were going to apply the law of God properly, those would not be allowed in a public setting at all. Could you buy one of those books and hand it to your neighbor? Well, you you could do what you want, I guess. But you couldn't publicly proselytize for such wickedness. So the law of God in that regard would protect the innocent children, the families that are seeking to be moral. They don't necessarily have to be Christian. And that would be the way to work your culture. Because what we're doing is when Adam failed to cultivate the garden, the first Adam failed to take dominion and cultivate the garden, Christ comes on the scene as the last Adam. His task is to cultivate the garden. And that is why when Mary sees the Christ after the resurrection, she presumes him to be the gardener because he is there as the new Adam preparing the new Garden of Eden by the work of his body, the church, the temple of the living Christ on earth in time and in history to cultivate the culture and to bring sobriety under the law of God back to the nations. Because the the Great Commission is that he is going to disciple not people, but nations through the people, of course, but nations so so when the law of God is frustrated, ignored, diluted, or thrown out completely, you have the United States of America and all of the other nations that seek to
0: blaspheme God. Okay, related to that, uh, Pastor Raymond, the, um, I think it's in Exodus 21 or 22. It talks about a ransom being paid in the case, I believe it's a case where a, a bull gored a person— to death and it then the owner was previously warned to keep it uh you know restrained and then didn't do it and there's a passage in um at the end of numbers i believe where it says you shall accept no ransom for a, a first degree murder a premeditated murder so is that implying that there's uh you know for 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 other death penalties less than premeditated murder there's a ransom a monetary ransom that can be paid that points ahead to christ you know the coming ransom um for sin
1: yeah i think Um, as far as the law is concerned uh yes the, the the man there's a mandatory penalty for a premeditated act of murder uh and and that's what that's what's so confusing about second samuel's account with absalom you know he he premeditated the murder of amnon he planned it for for two years so you know and yet david did not execute him for that murder but but yeah that's a that's a mandatory sentence but as far as like manslaughter and things like that uh, the family would decide the family does have a lot to say in the the penology uh they can take a ransom uh they might even at in certain cases be able to uh, request a death penalty so that that would have to be you know that would have to be up to the family but what's what we've got today is both the um everybody's the victim everybody becomes a victim because Uh and then you've got you've got uh the assault on the conscience by putting a a premeditated murderer that should have the mandatory death sentence he's put into prison to learn plumbing and electronics and read and get a degree in college and yet we're all paying for him to stay there alive even if he goes on death row he's there for 20 years so Hmm. what's going on there so we have a real problem uh with with our justice system, not not even not even going to touch on this, the problem with the corruption of our justice system, but even just the 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 everyday workings of our justice system. It's it's a it's a mess.
0: Uh, Well, maybe we can get into that a little bit more uh, next week, if you if you can come back next week, perhaps Uh, But just one more question to kind of perhaps sum up here or wrap things up um, there's a passage in first Timothy uh, chapter 1 that talks about the um, lawful use of God's law um, we know that the law is good if anyone uses it lawfully which seems to imply there's lawful use of God's law and unlawful use and so how would you sum up you know what are what are some of the lawful uses of God's law what are some of the unlawful uses and it, it goes on to list specific uh Old Testament uh, violations in that passage as well, murder and perjury and so forth.
1: Right. Well, what, whatever whatever laws are dictated in the scriptures, six hundred and thirty uh, what six hundred thirteen laws of the Old Testament, and you could you can even print those out by category and see what the penalties are and what the statements are as far as God's law. Now, if you're going to use the law of God as a tyrannical tool, of course. Uh, uh, to um, to subjugate someone's conscience or things like that, that would be unlawful. So so we want to make sure that we're 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 carefully studying, praying, reading, and discussing. I think it's very important. You know, we talk about iron sharpening iron. We see that in the Old Testament, the Scripture says, "Those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another." What did they talk about? What were they talking about? Those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another. Well, they were talking about how are they going to navigate the world that they live in, righteously, by the dictates and commandments of God. That's what they're talking about. They're not mm. talking about the uh, the price of tea in China or uh, the the the, uh, the 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 fair wage, the fair wages that they were getting or not getting. No, they they're, they're talking about how do we navigate our lives, righteously. Because the only way to navigate your life, not only righteously, but if it is going to be blessed of God, is to do it God's way. And one of the things that we have to remember is whenever God speaks, as the lawgiver, he is speaking law. So the Bible, the inscripturated word of God in its original manuscripts, Hebrew and Greek, is the law of God, the universal law of God for all nations, all kindreds, all peoples, to violate that law brings a judgment. If it's a violation of the law by an individual, it brings a judgment. If it's a violation of the law by a family, it brings a judgment. By a state or a country or a nation, it brings a judgment. That's just the way it works. And that is why Deuteronomy 28 is so important. There are sanctions for good behavior, good behavior, and sanctions for the violation of God's law, the positive and the negative. So so we want to be really, really careful when we think about the word of God. It is the law of God. In fact, the original King James Version in the beginning was, this is the law of God, the whole Bible. So we want to be really careful when we talk about law. We want to know what we're talking about, especially when we talk about the word of God. So that is something that needs to be discussed Uh, It needs to, uh, this idea of theonomy, which means God's law, uh, the idea of theocracy, which means God's rule, and every nation is a theocracy. But depending on what God is ruling, that would dictate what the theocracy is. And usually with these nations of the world, America included, America is a theocracy, but the Theo, the God of that Rule is man. It's the state. Mm-hmm. This is not the God of Scripture. So whenever somebody talks about theocracy as if it's a bad thing, just remind them. Every nation's a theocracy. And and then explain to them what they're talking about. Because most people speak, and not, not to be unkind, but most people speak in ignorance. They don't really know what they're talking about. And that's because they weren't taught. And that's because the pastors are ignorant themselves of what God is teaching. And so they give an anecdotal sermon. They get their tithe. They uh, they send their people away with pablum instead of the real meat of the word, and the people are 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 ignorant of how to fix the world in which they live.
0: Well, thank you, thank you for your time today, Pastor Raymond. Uh, this has really been enlightening. Um, now, what is your? How can students find you on the on the internet? It's uh, new. Is it NewGeneva.us? Is that yes, that... yes,
1: NewGeneva.us. Uh, we oh. we teach because everyone's so spread out. We teach online. We teach um, as you can stru- structure your own, your own pace. Uh, we have a student portal where you can go on there and you can discuss things with other students, with the pro- proctors, with the professors. So it's uh, something that, it, but it's for a serious student. You know, it's not just a fly-by-night kind of thing. It's for someone who really wants to do something with their lives. And it, it's even used for uh, for for uh, Kingsway students, too, as as a uh, beginning uh, worldview studies to go into college or wherever they want to go. So it could be used as a uh, a preface for their their careers. So it is something that we, we're very thankful of. Uh, it is not head-scratching. We're going we're gonna to require you to figure out how to apply the things you've learned into the culture. We don't want a regurgitation of the material. I always tell my students, I don't want you to just write a, a thesis and tell me what you've learned. I know what you learned. I built the curriculum. I want you to tell me how you're going to use it. Good. So that's what yeah. we that's what we have here so it's it's an yeah. exciting project and uh, I pray the Lord blesses it.
0: Yeah. And you and you refer to kingsway meaning kingswayclassicalacademy.com the online uh, school yes. where you're teaching uh, great books from a biblical perspective. Yeah book. and
1: I and I really I really think the great books course is actually actually it's a philosophical course and and uh, it, it's structured quite well because it really overturns the idea of Of natural law and uh, man's reason, as opposed to the law of God, and how man's reason has always usurped and and undermined uh, the the possibilities of a of a righteous culture. And I think I think all of the all of the Kingsway courses in that regard are very helpful. And I have I have many of my students have come through Kingsway, a few of them at least. And uh, I always I always refer back to their teaching. Of uh, at Kingsway, as far as the great books goes,
0: all right. Well, let's sign off for today. Maybe we can pick this up in a little more detail next week. Hope to see everybody uh, next Tuesday. Thanks so much.